0: Is there, is there a sports podcast in Detroit that people are talking about? Hey, everybody. This is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listening to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. Oh!
1: This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network.
2: Adam and John, Doc and Jock, we made it bro, episode number 200, now recording bro, I can't believe we're sitting here today, when I was reflecting on the week and reflecting on the entire project, I'm like damn, 200 straight recordings, you've been here for 197 or 198 of them, welcome sir, it's great to see you back from vacation, that is Adam the Jock Strozinski.
1: what's up cuz, guess who's back, Guess who's back? You miss me? Guess who's back in (laughs) time. Did you miss me? That's the real question. I know know Vito sat in my uh, my seat here, and uh, that guy always fills my shoes, so I guess you really didn't miss me, so whatever. You know what Vito said? He said he's the smaller, sexier version of the jock.
2: (laughs) He would say that, wouldn't he? (laughs) We had a good time. It wasn't as long as a typical Doc and Jock podcast, but we had a good time in your absence. But now that you're back, I'm fascinated because I didn't bother you. Nothing related to the podcast, you were on vacation, and I know from just what we talked about in the first five minutes of the pre-show meeting, it sounded
1: like your vacation was off the chains. Dude, it was uh, it was fun, and it, it, it was seriously, I did not want to come back. I've been struggling this entire week to get back in the flow of everything, Um, just to kind of let you in on, on what took place, and, and this, this is kind of how it all started. We got there on a Thursday, right? And we got there Thursday afternoon. And we end up going to dinner. We end up meeting up with uh, with the couple that we were supposed to meet there. And we end up going to dinner that night. And at dinner time, we end up hooking up with basically everybody who's going to be in our party. So let's have sex. Yeah, right. So everybody ends up meeting up, and uh, we're all kind of sitting around the dinner table, just sitting there talking or whatever. So the next night's Friday, we make dinner plans of where we're going to go to eat because they've got like nine or ten different restaurants on the resort. Um, we end up spending the entire afternoon. At the uh, at the ocean front, which is right next to a beach, so from the uh, from the ocean, we end up making our way over to the to the pool. And remind everybody, you went to Jamaica and you stayed at the Sandals. Yes, stayed at uh, Ochi uh, Ochi uh, Sandals. It, it, outstanding. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, so we end up going to the pool, and once we're in the pool, man, like I'm a total maniac. When I go on vacation, I'm absolutely nuts. Right, I, I'm there for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to not be responsible for anything. So my whole goal is to sit there and basically get blotto every single day. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? I don't have to drive anywhere. I'm not responsible for children. I don't necessarily have to take care of my wife. She's grown. She usually takes care of me because the the, the condition I end up in. So I, I have no responsibilities. I'm there to have fun. So I'm in the pool. I'm having a good old time. Get that pool, sitting there kind of rocking, and everything's going. It's great. We end up going to dinner that night from dinner there's talk and speculation about this gigantic pool party that's going to be going on later in the evening. Turns out this pool party is a giant foam party. It was so insane. Like, just absolutely bonkers. So you had girls dancing on the the pool bar, the swim-up bar. You had girls dancing on, like, twerking on a ledge that led you down into the pool. You had a girl who sat there and wanted to join the party but didn't have a bathing suit. So she just stripped down to bra and panties and went swimming. I had my buddy and, and, and another girl sit there, climb this tower where the foam was coming out of. They've got all the way to the top, and then they got yelled at by Patrick, who who set, sits there and, and works for uh, works for Sandals. He was like, "Get the f off the tower! You're gonna die! What are you doing?" It was crazy, man. It was absolutely nuts. Bubbles, like honestly, I, I I'm five nine. Bubbles were were I don't know. Eight foot tall. I ended up t- picking up a girl who was in our group. I put her on my shoulders so she could see above the bubbles. While I'm walking through the bubbles, I start breathing them in. And I'm going to tell you this. is not a good look because you just start choking and you want to die because your lungs are on fire from whatever's in those bubbles. Not good. But the entire time, dude, it was just so much fun. It was an entire – it was just a blast. The worst part about the vacation is we were never, ever able to reach that pinnacle of that pool party for the rest of the trip, which – you know, you basically you're, you're, you're day one and a half and you've already crescendoed. So that, that kind of sucked. But uh, last day before I ended up leaving, we took some bottles of champagne down to the pool and I just sat there and I like champagne. It's like there's a picture on my Facebook. I'm pretty sure you've seen it with me just passed out in bed. Took the wife like a half hour to get me up because I was just in a drunken stupor. Anyways, we took bottles of champagne down to the pool. And I'm popping bottles in like it looked like a rap video because I'm just sitting there shaking it up, dumping it on girls and I'm just drinking bottles. Oh, man, it was absolutely bonkers. It
2: was so much fun. So now you went because it was a destination wedding. Would you recommend it in the future um, for those that maybe come to you and say, look, Jack, you know, what was it like for your boy? Was it worth it? Is it something because many people will say, you know, when you hear the news for the first time, like, hey, my boy's getting married. Great. Are you having a destination wedding? Because, you know, some money's coming out of your pocket. Would you overall recommend a destination wedding for the youth of the future
1: for anyone listening to this? It was expensive for that couple. Um, It was expensive for me to go. Uh, Sanos does a really nice job. What ends up happening, though, is everything starts to cost more and more. It begins to snowball on you. Uh, I don't know if I would recommend a destination wedding because you can't invite as many people as you'd like. He ended up inviting a ton of people, and from his group of friends, I was the only one who went. You know, I mean, I've been, for instance, third grade, so I had to go, but it was a small group of people who ended up going. I think there was, uh, I think six or seven couples who ended up making the trip. So it's, it's really difficult. If you're looking for a big wedding, if you're looking for something small, you want something fun, knock yourself out. It does become expensive though. Sandals is a great resort. It's nice. Um, the one thing about sandals that I did not like, um, this is, because I had gone on resort before I went to a blue Bay Villa and blue Bay does a great job where it's, it's constant party atmosphere. All you're doing is partying the entire time that you're you're there. And like I told you, when I go on vacation, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to just kind of let loose and, and cut back and just have fun because I only go on one major vacation every other year, maybe every three years. I don't sit there and take a lot of vacation time. Sandals is more designed for couples. Everything they do is it's all couples based? Like you can only get a room if you're with a couple. They won't sit there and rent you out a room to stay on the resort if you're just you by yourself. So if you're gonna go and you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or or you're not going with with a husband or a wife or anything like that, you've got to bring a friend along with you to help split that cost. So it becomes. Um, it doesn't have that huge party vibe that I was necessarily looking for. I ended up creating it and making it, and I ended up having a really good time. I made some really good friends with some of the guys who work there. I think they're awesome. Dude, it was a blast, though. I don't really have any complaints other than I was looking for more party all the time, and we really only had more party that Friday night. you know. So, But, it, dude, it was great. It was a great time.
2: I had a sandals experience for my honeymoon, took the missus to Antigua. We went to the sandals. So obviously beforehand, I kind of read some reviews and it was a mixed bag. So when we went, we had a little bit of a concern regarding what we were going to experience. But all in all, the all-inclusive nature was awesome. We had a good time. Did you by chance? And the funniest part about a sandals is that, you know, in Antigua, you know, the limit of the of the resort is up until the beach. So the beach is where all the vendors would come and be like, hey, you want this wallet? You want this chain? You want this bead? Da, 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 da. And then they told you and everybody warned you, especially from the airport to beforehand. They said, look. You're going to be offered the ganja. You're going to be offered the good stuff. And so when I was kind of hanging out by the edge, because I wanted to see what was going on, what's going on with this side e-commerce, you know, going on here in Antigua, what are they selling? What are they trying to do? You know, so I kind of go right up to the edge where the beach is and a guy kind of comes over and uh, he's about maybe six, two real skinny dude. He comes up to me and he's like, you want to have a good party? I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I got the good stuff. And I'm like, okay, what are you talking about? Because I got the crack, I got the weed, I got this, I got that. I'm like, what? And he laid out for me literally six different narcotics that he could sell to me. And I was just like, no, I'm not partying like that, bro. But then he's like, okay, no problem. So I had thought that they would be a little bit aggressive, but they were like, look, they'll come up to you, they'll ask you a thousand times, you just say one word and they'll move on. You say no. And they kept moving. So they were not abrasive, but they did ask. A lot of vendors would write up, you know, if you're sitting on the beach, if you're sitting inside the resort right there inside of the of the barrier, they kind of ask you if you wanted this or that. But the availability of illicit drugs was quite shocking in the fact that they would be like, yo, you know, you want to have a good party. You want to have a good party? And I was like, no, I think I'm, I'm pretty
1: good. You experienced so, any of that? Uh, uh, so a couple different stories there. Numerous points on this trip, I was offered – uh weed i was offered weed brownies that was a big popular thing like guys standing out in the middle of the street with signs that says brownies with the weed sign in the middle of it um i was offered coke i was offered crack on numerous occasions at least four or five times my buddy who we went there for uh he likes to uh he likes to partake um in in the green stuff he gets there and he ends up talking to i don't know if those guy who brought his bags i don't know who it was he ends up talking to one of the guys who who sits there and gets him situated, and the guy's like, So uh you like the party? And he was like, That's a great code. Yeah. You like the party? Yeah. yeah, we like the party. Yeah, he was like he's like, I like the green party. Because he already <laughs> knew what the deal was. So the guy's like, All right, bet, I'll be right back. Half hour later, the guy comes back with this giant nugget. Like it, it honestly, it, it looked like it looked like a turd. It was so big, <laughs> right? Right. So like if you hold your hand up, look at your hand and look from basically your wrist to your middle finger. That's how like long this thing was. It was a thick old nugget, and he wanted like a hundred bucks for it. And my buddy was like, ah, "I ain't gonna be able to do that." And he just sits there, and haggles with him, ends up getting it for forty. And it basically, the entire trip, that's what he smoked the entire trip. He ended up buying like two pipes from a vendor that they let on site, and he sat there, and that's that's what he did, man. And he said he was like, it wasn't nothing great, but it was uh, it was just cool to be able to do it, I guess. And, and I guess in Jamaica, you can carry two ounces, no problem. So it's totally legal there. It's just you can't carry any more than two ounces because then you're looking to distribute or whatever the case may be, and then you're looking at a fine. And the fine's only like twenty dollars American is what they were explaining to me. So it's it, it, a totally different culture there. Just it's different. So, but yes, no offered many times. Uh, we ended up going into the city and we went through a like a shopping area and with their shopping area very very pushy. Come take a look at my stuff. Hold this. And, you, you know, the, it's just like when you go downtown and you got the guy giving you the American flags. The moment you take an American flag, he's expecting a $10 bill. So they're sitting there trying to give you, like, pins. They're trying to give you little trink, trinkets, little things that they've carved out of, like, a stick. And I'm, you're just like, man, I don't want none of this stuff. Like, And it's, like, all, like, just knickknacks and stuff and no, nothing that you even want. So you're just kind of walking through. And you're like, no, I don't want nothing. I don't want them. then they get all mad at you because you're like, oh, why do you got to be rude to me? I'm like, look, man, I ain't trying to be rude to you. I just don't want none of your shit. And like, none of this stuff is even interesting to me. So after probably about 20 minutes of this, I, I had my fill. I was like, I'm done. I ended up going over to another spot where you didn't get harassed to go shop around. And while I was sitting there walking around there, um, ended up getting pulled into a cigar shop, had a nice cigar with a nice guy. Uh, wife ended up spending all my money. So I couldn't go back and get me a Cuban, which made me a little upset, but whatever's whatever there. Um, another guy ended up, uh, bringing me into his shop, and it was um it was this was like the only Jamaican-owned shop there. Very very similar to to like downtown Detroit, right? You go, you walk around, and mostly everything's like Arabic owned as far as shops. Same deal over there, dude. Like you guys just spread out. It's like the urban sprawl. Arabs everywhere. So like they bought up like this entire like shopping complex and like the one Jamaican-owned joint. These dudes pull me in, I'm sitting there looking through all their stuff with the wife, and as we're getting ready to leave, the one guy's like, are you a cop i get this all the time i either get cop firefighter or mma fighter all the time it's always one of those three and i'm like no not a cop and they're like okay cool you want any crack like (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) no no i don't want to go you want any brownies no i'm good dude weed no i'm cool man thanks i really appreciate all of that but i'm good the moment we found out i wasn't a cop it was like here you go and you know what's
2: funny and when you reflect on it, you know that when you left, you're like, damn, the one American doesn't want to buy crack. What the fuck's up with this cheap asshole? <laughs> right. you, you come off looking like a cheap asshole <laughs> right. because of all the Americans that go down there and buy all the crack and weed. So, you know, he's leaving like, damn, what a cheap, boring ass fuck.
1: Right. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I'm like, no, man, I'm just, I'm here. Like, honestly, the only thing I'm doing is I'm here to get drunk. That was it, dude. It was like gin and tonics the entire weekend. It was great. It was, I had so much fun. It was a blast. I guess uh, after I had left, my buddy and his wife ended up staying for, I think, two or three more days than, than we did. He was talking to Uncle Everton. That was the bartender. That's what I named him. Uh, so he's talking to Uncle E, and Uncle E's like, man, the moment your boy leaves, the entire pool just seems to just die down. It's so boring right now. Where's your boy at? My one buddy was like, yeah, it's kind of how he does it. He's insane. Yeah, he already had to go home. That was kind of my lasting impression. I guess I left on Jamaica. So it was a good time, man. I had a blast.
2: You know, what Stinks, I wanted episode 200 to be very festive, and it looks like the first 15 minutes might be it, depending on, you know, the topics that we laid out here. When you came back, it just seemed like the news turned all negative this week in the world of Detroit sports, in terms of the NHL finals, NBA finals. Not a lot
1: of exciting things to talk about, Hopefully, What are you talking about? The NHL finals are outstanding, bro. You want yeah. Pittsburgh to win? No, I don't want Pittsburgh. Dude, the Preds are murdering these dudes right now. Jason and I talked about
2: it a little bit, and that if Nashville wins, they were our competitor. They were our rival, you know, back before we got into the Eastern Conference. Now they're kind of up and coming, and you got Pittsburgh, who nobody really in town really wants to root for. So Dude, it's there were like... so
1: many Pittsburgh fans when I was in Jamaica. I exactly. was talking so much shit to all of them. Exactly. So when
2: you came back, the news turned all sour, and I guess we'll jump right in to the news of the week because it's finally now come to fruition in terms of the whole saga regarding Michigan State you know the three players were arraigned officially so news broke earlier on Monday that okay the charges are coming so I'm looking I'm like okay again since when do they file charges without names and then they kind of get the details like no they're gonna officially file it on Tuesday that's when the warrants will be you know laid out and then we'll know who it was And so the names have been released, now everybody's talking about it, and now the story has taken on a lot of layers that we're going to talk about in regards to the state of Michigan State's program, what's happened, how the program has addressed it, how to conceptualize what these three players did, and obviously the first thing you say is this year for Michigan State is probably going to be a very tumultuous year and it's going to be looked upon for non-football reasons. And when you look at it, it's terrible for the entire state of the program. Whether these guys are found not guilty, guilty, the entire saga has really encompassed the entire football program. And D'Antonio addressed it on Tuesday. He said, look, I can't even talk about football. I cannot even sit here in front of you guys, the media, and talk about football in good conscience because of what's happened. And I really do believe the weight of the allegations and what's happened to Michigan State football has really taken a toll on Mark D'Antonio and the program. And I do feel like they've shown the proper level of respect to the victim, to the football players. They've done everything according to plan in terms of protocol for when nonsense like this happens. But the first thing I'll ask you is in regards to the state of the program, now that you know the three players, D'Antonio's already kicked them out, said, look, they're gone. This is going to be something where we got to kind of reset the program and bring in guys that are going to be a little bit different. We got to do things different around here. Do you find Mark D'Antonio and the program at fault for kind of half a dozen guys acting a fool and acting in a way that's unbecoming of being a Michigan State Spartan? Do you blame the program? Do you blame Michigan State, Mark D'Antonio for the notion of, you know, what people will call loss of institutional
1: control? Before I answer that, I I think this entire situation could become a rallying cry for this MSU football team. They've had to deal with a lot this offseason. There's everything going on with Larry Nasser, the gymnastics uh, trainer. Uh, You've got everything going on with these three players, and this has been hanging over their heads since January. I mean, almost six months now, this has been lingering, and you knew this was coming down the pipeline. It was just you were waiting for law enforcement to do their due diligence and get all their ducks in a row before they sat there and made anything official. That being said, I think this, if Mark, if Mark, Mark D'Antonio has done this before. Remember, MSU plays their best with a chip on their shoulder. So what's going to give you a bigger chip on your shoulder than everybody sitting there dragging MSU's name through the mud? Everybody talking about how bad MSU is and, and how uh, th- there's a loss of institutional control and how D'Antonio has lost control of this team and, and how this coaching staff hasn't done anything right. I think this is a perfect rallying cry for Michigan State to sit there and, and take this head on and build from it and maybe not have another 3-9 and nine season. And I don't think you're going to have a 9-3 and three season, but I think you're going to have a much better season than what most people are expecting because D'Antonio loves to take this type of fuel and just add it to the fire, and he just helps it just blow up like a 20-foot bonfire.
2: So for those that don't know, Josh King, Donnie Corley Jr., and Demetric Vance are the three players that were named, and right away D'Antonio said, look, they're no longer part of the team. And we'll talk about it, whether, he, you know, the due process should have taken place, whether he should have waited until the court date. But it seems to me on that front, with the evidence that might be available in terms of cell phones and what's been relayed back to D'Antonio about what happened, I probably would agree that he wouldn't have made that choice had he not kind of felt like, OK, there's a preponderance of evidence here that something bad and nefarious really happened overall here. So, it, you know, in terms of the rallying cry. I can understand that the program is going to have to insulate itself and kind of handle it in terms of moving forward. But do you think that Michigan State, when you read the the reports and how, you know, once the information got to D'Antonio and got to the program, he's been cleared. I mean, literally one minute after he heard the news, he was talking to the compliance people. He was talking to the right, you know, the right people. There's
1: no cover up. That being said, I think D'Antonio handled everything correctly in, in it up front with with the compliance office, with the school. You don't have a Penn State issue happening here, okay? D'Antonio took care of everything, crossed all of his T's, dotted all of his I's. He did everything by the book. So for that, I tip my cap to him. That being said, I think the reason that you're in this mess right now as an MSU football program is because Mark D'Antonio sat there and started reaching for players, started doing things that maybe he shouldn't have been doing, and I think a lot of that came with winning Big Ten championships winning, uh, get, getting into playoffs. And I think what ends up happening is the, the burden to win becomes became so great for Mark Antonio. we started feeling the pressure. Like, how many times can you sit there and go to Indianapolis and, and either compete or win the Big Ten title before you're going to sit there and go on and win a Rose Bowl? Or before you're going to sit there and get on in, into the uh, into the college football playoff? And then you sit there and you get blown out in the football playoff. So now the talk is, okay, How are we going to sit there and win that championship? It's all about building blocks for Mark D'Antonio. That's what he said since day one when he got here, right? It's all about sitting there, laying a foundation, and then building upon that and taking that next step forward. He's always talking about taking that next step. I think what ended up happening was he started to feel the pressure of winning. His own success ended up getting the best of him, and because of that, you see him go and he takes chances on players. This has been an absolute abysmal offseason for MSU. You've had players from the state leave the program for different reasons, whether it, it, it be playing time, whether it be not getting along with teammates, whether it be saying things in the locker room that, that disparaged other teammates. You've had guys sit there now. You've had these three players right here with this sex scandal, uh, a possible rape case, you know, allegedly. We'll see what happens as it plays out in the in the court system because I this is going to go to trial. Right now they're setting up for the pretrial. This will be going to trial. You can count on it. Uh, You've also had players that Mark D'Antonio sat there and gave a second chance to. Guys who in high school sat there and and had issues with the law. He brings them in, and then before the season's even over, they've got other issues with the law now. So he ends up taking chances on character, guys. You've never had this issue with Mark D'Antonio as he was building to get to that Rose Bowl. You always heard about how the veteran leadership in that locker room, whether it be the seniors or the juniors, always held everybody else accountable. As things have kind of started to dwindle away here, Connor Cook ends up leaving, right? You have all these different things that start surrounding Connor Cook and why he's not a leader and why he's not a captain. So I think right there, you start to you start to kind of see some of the writing on the wall. Things inside that locker room weren't right. And, and now what ended up happening is everything just kind of caught up to Mark D'Antonio and caught up to the program with, with this last offseason. And it's been a complete disaster for him. And, and I think that's a huge issue. It's just... Mark Antonio started feeling the pressure of having to win and he ended up taking chances on guys that he normally wouldn't take chances on. And then you have your uh, Curtis Blackwell who is basically your, your recruiting specialist. He's the guy who goes out there and he's sitting there doing all the handshakes and making all the deals so you can get into these different schools in the Detroit area so you can bring in guys like a Donnie Corley Jr. And he ends up not following the proper steps, not following the proper protocols, and, and and things right there get a little bit shaky. And once that happens, now you've got to call in Mark D'Antonio. You've got to call his selection for coaches, his selection for his, the personnel who works on his football program, and for the selection of his players. Because now all this lays at his feet. He's the head coach. He's the head dog in charge here. So it all falls on his shoulders. See, that's the part that's really complicated
2: to talk about and think about because – just 7 to 10 days before the incident before January 16th the entire squad had to go to sensitivity training they went to training and had talks with professionals regarding sexual abuse and the trouble that you can get into with getting into parties and getting into trouble with women so the question of how much culpability does Martin Antonio have is one thing that he does you know have to talk about and have to we have to debate it but it's really hard To put a lot of this at Mark D'Antonio because then you say to yourself, how much time does he have to watch and supervise these guys? Does it take – and a narrative that came out that many people were talking about, well, you know, there was not a lot of senior leadership, you know, at Michigan State. And that's why a lot of these young guys started getting in trouble, saying things and doing things. I don't think that you need senior leadership not
1: to rape. Right. You know what I mean? I I agree with you 100%. You as – an 18-year-old, 17, 18-year-old adult, you know what is proper and what is improper, right? If a girl's telling you no, you don't sit there and you don't force yourself upon her. This goes back to parenting. So I think the players themselves have most of the burden. And then again, cell that phone usage and appropriateness. Exactly. But that being said, you got to realize Mark D'Antonio was the guy who who signed off on these players coming to, to Michigan State. He was the one who said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's bring these guys in, right? He was the guy who opened his arms and welcomed these guys in. Now, did they violate that trust? Did they sit there and did they violate and break the rules and everything that was set forth by Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio? Absolutely. They have to take on a greater burden of it. But I think some of the blame has to fall on Mark D'Antonio, has to fall on this coaching staff, and has to fall on the staff that does the recruiting. Because these are the guys who are going out saying, these are the players that are going to help us win. They're going to, they're, 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 they might not be great guys, but they're good guys and they're not going to get in trouble. And then. Fast forward a couple months and, and look at look at where we're at. Do you know, so what would I'm saying? you say then
2: if there are talented players from the PSL from Detroit, should Michigan State for maybe a year or two just kind of avoid all those kind of players? Recruit Ohio, recruit Pennsylvania, and just no. say, look, we gotta avoid PSL no, for a no, year or two. No? No. no. Because, then how do
1: you avoid because, this kind of happening? Well, here's the thing. All these the, the play the three players who, who are indicted here, they're not all from, from just the PSL. You know what I'm saying? They're they're not all from Detroit. The, the, the issue is You've gotta, you've gotta sit there and you've gotta do your due diligence and make sure these are character guys. You know, a lot of this, I think, falls back on, on the home life and the home structure. And from by all accounts, Donnie Corley Jr. was, and we keep bringing him up, but by all accounts, he wasn't, he was an A plus guy. He comes from an A plus family. You know, apparently he wasn't mentally strong enough and he maybe gave into some peer pressure here. I don't exactly know, know the entire situation because we're going to find all this out as this proceeds with, with court proceedings, but, Again, you didn't do your due diligence when you were sitting there going through the recruiting process. You've got to make sure that you've got good leaders, guys who are willing to stand up. If you sit there in some of the details that have come out on this case, right? You had, hold on, I want to make sure I get all the names right here, okay? So give me one second. Okay, so Josh King is the one who's facing the bulk of the charges here. He's facing the, uh, the first-degree criminal sexual conduct charges. He's also got one count of third-degree criminal sexual conduct and a count of capturing an image of an unclothed person. He faces life in prison right now. So Josh King appears to be the ringleader in all of this, okay? So after Josh King brings a, a woman in, into a, a, what appears to be a bathroom or what sounds like a bathroom, forces her to perform oral sex on him and then vaginally penetrates her, he ends up bringing in Donnie Corley Jr., and uh, Dimitri Vance, and forces her to perform oral sex on both of them. All right? This is what's been, what's been basically put out there so far. So I'm not speaking out of turn on anything here. This is what's been put out there. Allegedly. Yes. After all this goes on, another teammate comes in and basically scoops up the girl and carries her out. So there are guys on this football program who have a moral compass, who are leaders, who can do these things. These three players, however, it appears they... Don't either have the moral compass or they're not leaders enough to either stand up to Josh King or to sit there and say, no, this isn't right and let's not do this. So again, balls back on the recruiting trails and Curtis Blackwells a part of that. And this all then goes to the head of the football program and that's Mark Antonio. So I think he has to share some of the blame here. When you hear about
2: what football players do and you hear about, you know, the incidents all across the country in regards to football programs and other athletic endeavors, is there a realistic way to prevent this? I mean, there is no such thing as a one hundred percent squeaky clean program. You have football players, you have these athletes with big egos, and especially with football. And me, and me and Vito talked about it a little bit on Tuesday in regards to the whole football culture in terms of you know CTE, impulse control issues, anger issues, playing a sport like football, like MMA, like you know these aggressive sports where you know you have to turn it on and off. It's one of those things where you, you can a- legitimately ask yourself, can you really prevent something like this? Can you do your due diligence? Because you said it. Everybody said it. Vito even said, look, he went out to camps. He saw Donnie Corley Jr. He was a guy with, that showed Vito and everybody else the utmost respect. But how do you really know what's a guy going to do when he's around teammates, maybe around alcohol, maybe smoking weed, doing some things that they're not supposed to be doing? How do you prevent that? How do you know what somebody's going to do in the pressure moments and things like that. You could vet them to death. You could bring a guy like me in to do testing, to do thorough interviews. I'm certain that if you ask Mark D'Antonio if he was sitting here, he would say, "Look, I would have vetted. I would have bet my, you know, my job that these guys would not have done something like this." I don't think nobody would intentionally bring in guys that are going to commit sexual assaults on campus. How do you prevent something like this realistically? I don't think you can. I think that all you can do is do what Michigan State has done is is have trainings, have the utmost, you know, education for these athletes. And then unfortunately, you got to have a little bit of hope that this kind of nonsense doesn't take place. I just don't think sitting here, there's a realistic way to prevent something like this from happening. You're going to keep hearing
1: it. I think you're right. I don't think there's a way to to 100% prevent this. But what you can do and I think Mark Dantonio took the first steps. He went once the names were released, He sat there, he did everything he had to do to protect his players. And he showed his players, I will protect you for as long as I can. The moment I can't, I'm done with you. And that's exactly what he did. The moment he couldn't protect those three players, he said, you know what? They're kicked off the football team. They're done. They're done. They're they're out of here. They have no more ties to this program, and they won't be allowed back. So I think that right there, I think he sends a strong message to the rest of the team. I've got your back as long as you don't screw up. The moment you screw up and I can't protect you anymore... You're dead to me. And now that's what ask, he did to them. I want to ask you this, okay, because of the fact. Now, look, we don't
2: victim shame here. We don't do none of that here. We show the utmost respect to anybody that, you know, has been an alleged victim of sexual assault because it's because it's going to be mentally torturous for everybody involved, okay? But the thought that keeps popping in my head is Duke Lacrosse, okay? Mm-hmm. And that whole story was, look, these guys that were on the Duke Lacrosse team were vilified, and there were national stories written in publications that said, hey, look, this is what happened, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then it came to fruition when the facts came out that they were not guilty of the alleged crimes that they were said to have committed. And so the way I, I want to ask you is, is do you think the way this has gone down is the way it always should be? Because an argument could be made that, look, maybe the guys could have been suspended indefinitely, pending investigation. Pending the result of the court case. But this could drag out for a year or two. But hey, they're still suspended. But unfortunately, there is something called the presumption of innocence in this country, which means no matter what, even if you if I see you commit a crime and I say, okay, I saw Adam do this. You still are presumed innocent until you have your day in court and everything is laid out from the defense to the prosecution. Everything's laid out. And then a jury or the judge hears the case and renders a verdict. Do you think that if it was to be done differently, it would be done where they're suspended, they're not part of the program, they can't do the football stuff, but they can still kind of be around campus and still go to school until the court is officially done? Because right now, maybe it's only 1% with the evidence that's there, but there is still maybe a .001 chance this didn't happen. These guys are not guilty. So then what happens? Then do they come back and just sue Michigan State and we all got egg on our face again and just go, oh, well, you know what? If, if something is said, this is how we're just going to go do it.
1: I think... Where's Wait, the presumption of innocence I, I, in this kind of story? I think if you look at this just as a one-off incident, I, I think you make a great case. But you have to look at this. You can't look at this as a vacuum in time. You have to look at everything else that's swirling around MSU and their athletic department right now. I mentioned it earlier. You have the whole issue with Larry Nasser going on. You've got all kinds of Title IX issues. And that's the real issue here is the Title IX issues. There was a sexual... Uh, there was a, a, a alleged sexual assault... So, I think what mSU is doing is they're getting out in front of this they're they're trying to sit there and they're trying to to basically cut the head off the beast before it sits there and it takes on a life of its own, saying, "Look no we're done the, these guys are have been removed they're no longer part of the program and I think that is to sit there and, and help them maybe in the eyes of the NCAA because you've got all this stuff coming to light with Larry Nasser, the gymnastics uh, athletic trainer who sat there in, in we, we both have listened to, to different accounts of, of what has happened. And uh, Ryan Schuling out there in Lansing has had uh, a couple of victims on and, and has had different people on to, to, to discuss the situation. And it's really, it really is a, a gross and, and, and distorted and, and just kind of awful, awful situation that a lot of these women have gone through and lived through. And then the university, knowing or, or unknowing, sat there and, and kind of pushed some of this to, underneath the carpet. So you've got this going on. On top of you got Title IX issues, which that is the big thing right now. That's the big thing with, with schools. It used to be institutional control. Used to be able to have football programs that sat there and ran a complete muck with, with, with everything sitting there. You had Urban Myers sitting there uh, getting guys out of jail that were arrested when he was sitting there in uh, in Florida. You had guys sitting there. Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez supposedly killed somebody when he was in college. I mean, c- come on. You know what I'm saying? So you had football programs that were just running amuck with with. Everything and the football programs were untouchable. It's all now comes down to Title IX, and it's not just acting an idiot and not having institutional control because now there are things that are taking place that are happening against women, and that's why all this is getting called into question. Baylor, the, the, the ripping the Band-Aid off the, off the wound with Baylor, that has shed so much light on different Title IX issues. On top of that, you had last, uh, was it? It was a couple years ago uh, when um, me and uh, Justin Rose were, were sitting there doing uh, the, the, the weekly uh, Monday morning uh, web show. Uh, We sat there and we talked about Peyton Manning, and there were Title IX issues there when he sat there and uh, supposedly, allegedly, sexually assaulted uh, an athletic trainer when he was at Tennessee. So that's the big issue here. It's Title IX. How how can MSU mitigate any sanctions that may come down from the NCAA in, in this time period? Because you've got different things going on. It's not just the three MSU football players that allegedly sat there and had improper contact with a female student. You've got different things going on with athletic trainers. You've got other issues that are taking place that MSU has to sit there and try to sidestep and avoid to sit there and avoid big issues coming down from the NCAA. Well said. Yeah, it's one of those
2: things where a lot of this is going to be dissected and maybe there will be some small changes or changes made by the administration. And we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to dial up Rico Beard, friend of the podcast, host of the Spartan Beat on 92.1 FM in Lansing. We want to get his insight because he's connected to the program. And before that, I also want to check in with him because he's doing some things as well outside of the radio business that I want to check in on too. So we'll dial up Rico Beard right now. On the phone with us right now, he is the host of the Spartan Beat on 92.1 FM in Lansing. Rico Beard joins us. Now, before we get into the crux of our conversation regarding the Michigan State football program. I just want to catch up with you, um, see how you're doing over there at 92.1 FM. I recently hear that you've become a part of the staff over there at Specs Howard. Let's check in with Rico Beard. How are things going with you?
0: Uh, not bad. Uh, seems like you got the highlights of uh, my career so far, at least the most current things that are going on. So uh, yeah, can't complain.
2: So how are things going over there at the Spartan Beat at 92.1 FM? How is everything going?
0: Good. I mean busy, a lot of things to talk about that are non-sports related, uh, just you know, with everything going on with this case, right before that we dealt with a lot of basketball stuff and Miles Bridges coming back and now we're dealing with the uh, criminal sexual assault case that's On the docket now, now that three names are out there, uh, we talked about that for the last couple of days. Eventually, we're going to have to talk about football because they're going to have to play a game regardless of what's happening on September 2nd. They're going to have to field some people and put them on Spartan Stadium's uh, field.
1: Rico, I want to get your thoughts on just kind of the big picture of what's going on with MSU athletics. And then if you can maybe drill down a little bit and be more specific about the football program. You've got everything going on. With the gymnastics program with Larry Nasser, and now you've got the alleged sexual assault with the football program. It just kind of seems like this off season for Michigan State has just kind of spiraled out of control and has been very messy.
0: Yeah, I mean they've received a ton of negative press uh, with the Dr. Nasser case that's going on. On top of that, you've had uh, four football players that are being uh, that have been arrested for criminal sexual assault. Uh, not a good time at MSU. No, uh, a lot of legal things going on, especially during the time where you know the summer is is always about hope, and because everybody is good during the summertime, you know you're you're waiting on the anticipated seasons coming up. But as of now, no, it's it's not a good time for Michigan State because uh, it just seems like, geez, they, they spend more more time in court. If you're Mark Hollis. Uh, you just got to be beside yourself. He had to cancel his his tour that he normally does during the NCAA tournament, where he goes and kind of goes to every court and follows every team, as a little bit of a, of a publicity stuff, But as he said, he's got fires to take care of at home, so he had to cut that short and come back to MSU and you know try to keep this the entire athletic program afloat.
2: There's been a constant debate with columnists and individuals discussing the entire incident regarding Mark D'Antonio and what his culpability is. In terms of bringing these guys into the program, many people will say, look, you know, Mark D'Antonio has to own some responsibility for some of these actions. Others will say, look, when the report came out, he took the necessary steps to the letter of the law, exactly what he needed to do. Where do you stand in terms of, you know, what has happened in terms of Mark D'Antonio's culpability in this situation?
0: I don't really think unless Mark Antonio was in the room, unless he was at the situation and and encouraged the guys to do what they had to do, you can't really blame someone for the poor decisions of these young men. He took appropriate action. He came out in the press conference yesterday and said he's letting these guys go regardless of whether they're found innocent or guilty because they had just spent a three-hour seminar the week before breaking down something very similar at another school. So they were well-informed, and yet they still went out there and made poor choices in life. I can't see how you would hold him to blame. Um, I've heard people saying, well, you know, you took these risky people. Well, at the time, they recruited them. Nobody was risky. At the time, every school in the nation wanted all three or four of those people, especially the three that uh, got charged. Everybody wanted them. Uh, from Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, USC, Texas. So if that's the case, then apparently they pulled the, the wool over every head coach's eyes. I don't think you can necessarily judge a man because he brought in players that he thought could help his team. He didn't know that they were going to go out there and do that. Uh, to a lesser extent, it's like if all of a sudden your next-door neighbor goes berserk, you know, you're sitting there thinking, hey, I just had a drink with this guy a couple of days ago. I didn't know he was some serial killer. You you don't know. You don't know people. You think you know them, but but you, you don't. So I can't see how anybody could blame him and say, well, it's his fault. You can't be with every individual at, at every time. At some point, people have to take responsibility for themselves.
1: While I agree with a lot of what you're saying, he's the he's the head man in charge over there at Michigan State with that football program. At some point, he has to shoulder some of the blame because these are players that he selected and he signed off on. Now, now he has a uh, um, uh, Curtis Blackwell who's working underneath him as far as recruiting goes, and, and Curtis sat there and apparently had some alleged missteps, and that's why he's no longer with the program. So I think at some point, it all has to trickle back to somebody, and he's the guy who kind of wears the chief hat there. So I think he has to shoulder some of the blame.
0: He does wear the hat. He's the, he's the head guy there. Um The blame, well, yes, it's your program, which is why I think he quickly jettisoned those individuals who got caught up because he's trying to eliminate all those types of nefarious people from his program. He doesn't want them around anymore. He's trying to clean up the image. I think that's part of his responsibility. And let's face it, uh, his job is more so on the lines. It still comes down to wins and losses. Now, if, 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 you know, we find out, in a couple of weeks, that more guys have been accused of sexual assault, then I think you could probably see somebody maybe stepping in there. But right now, he knows his his job is on the line. That's not a secret. You can see it in his face. He's he's a smart man. He he knows that what he does next is what he's going to be judged about on. What he, how he's going to be looked at. Uh, as far as his legacy at Michigan State, all the good stuff that he did is kind of ready to go out the window. His next move is going to be that move that says, "Okay, he fixed it, or you know what, the program got away from him."
1: All right. Well, with, with everything that's kind of swirling, Michigan State and their athletic program, do you see the NCAA step, the NCAA stepping in and possibly issuing any sanctions for this for for the for the athletic department? Um, for the athletic department? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, you've got everything going on with the with the gymnastics and Larry Nasser, and then you've got everything going on with the football program. And I and I know they're two, they're totally two different ends of the spectrum here, right? But it just the, do you see the NCAA stepping in at any point in leveling any sanctions to to Michigan State for I guess either the the Larry Nasser issues or the for the football program and and what's going on there?
0: No, uh, because in both places, at least as far as football goes. They stepped in and they did everything that they were supposed to do. And the one person that violated policy uh, was let go. His contract was not renewed. But other than that, they had an independent agent come in and say, you guys did everything that you were supposed to do. That's the only thing that the NGA wants to see. The NGA steps in when things are just running rampant. But every program has its problems. It's how you handle those problems what you do next. And at least as far as football, Michigan State stepped in. As far as the Dr. Nasser thing, while it is part Michigan State, a lot of that also took place while he was uh, the doctor for the U.S. Olympic team. That's more of a a criminal type of thing. And as far as the NCAA is concerned, I'm quite sure they're just going to let the courts handle that situation.
2: Now, Rico, many people are discussing Mark D'Antonio's ability to get the Michigan State football program back to where they were to national prominence. Do you think that this challenge, the challenge with the players and where you know the program's coming from, coming from a three-win season, do you think Mark D'Antonio can survive something like this in terms of the program and in terms of the reputation of the program?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, he could survive if he goes out there and wins again. Can he ever get back to that? You know what? I mean, everybody could speculate, but honestly, guys, nobody knows. It's all speculation, and let's say he gets him back to national prominence, most people are going to say, well, I knew he could do it, when really most people are saying he can't. I don't know. I'll say this. He's proven in the past that just when you thought that Michigan State could only couldn't go any higher, he's taken him to another level. But his challenge is there. He knows that the challenge is there. Can he get him to the next level? It's possible. It may take a little bit of time with everything going on and losing so many people in such a short time span, especially key guys that you thought were going to be there to help you out over the next couple of years. But honestly, fellas, uh, nobody knows. You could speculate all you want, but I mean, if, if we could speculate like that, we'd all be rich in Vegas and we'd all get the Powerball right. That's correct? right.
1: Winning the lotto. So this is something uh, John and I were talking about before we had you on. This is something I brought up to him, and I just kind of want to gauge your response to it. Do you feel that Mark D'Antonio maybe felt added pressure because he took a football program that was almost an afterthought, or at least around here, and sat there and started putting together winning season after winning season after winning season, then going on and competing for Big Ten championships, and then from there won a Rose Bowl, and then got into the college football playoff. Do you think that the expectation and the burden of winning – ended up leading to a lot of these situations that are going on with MSU right now because he ended up taking a chance on a guy like uh, Austin Robertson who was a kid who ended up having an issue when he was in high school. And normally it would seem like Mark D'Antonio wouldn't have taken an issue uh, or taken, taken a chance on a player like that before. Mm, not necessarily
0: because he's taken – Mark D'Antonio along with a lot of coaches and a lot of sports have taken chances on those kids. But when the kids turn their lives around, you don't hear about them. And you don't know about them. But, you know, I can just look at a different sport. But at MSU, Tom Izzo took a chance on Morris Peterson. And he was close to kicking Morris Peterson off the team. And Morris Peterson turned his life around. And now he's a pillar of society. So it happens. You take chances. That's what coaches do. You weigh the pros and the cons. Can I help them? Every coach thinks that I can fix this. I can help this kid. I can turn this kid into a better man. It doesn't always work out that way. As far as your first question, I think that uh, it's funny. I had a conversation with a former Michigan player, Marcus Ray, and he so eloquently put it, it's sort of the residue of success. Because they started winning, they started attracting more and more type of people and there are more and more people wanting to hang around the program. Uh, People don't want to hang around losing programs, but around winning programs, you do, uh, you know, you do start adding different elements and different people start coming around and you go after a different type of recruit. I don't know if they were ready to handle that yet. I don't know if they were ready to handle that success. And and maybe that is, you know, one of the things that started eroding away at the program was, you know, it's kind of like we were talking about winning the lottery. It's a reason why half the lottery winners go broke because they really weren't prepared to gain all the access to that money. I don't know if they were prepared to all of a sudden be thrown into the limelight and everything that comes with it. So, if they make it back there again, I think they're going through an you know a very hard lesson now that they will be able to understand because you had a lot of players who didn't really know what it took to work hard to get to the top because by the time they got to Michigan State, Michigan State was on top already, and they just assumed that, well, things have always been that way. So, you know, now that they've been knocked down, maybe this helps him in, in trying to get that lesson across to some of the younger players that it just as easily, as you know, once you get up to the top, that's hard work, but it's easy to get knocked down. Now you got to work hard to get to the top again.
1: Besides winning, because that's something that we, we've we touched on quite a bit here. Winning kind of solves everything and fixes everything. Besides winning, how does Mark D'Antonio help this football program to rebound from all of this?
0: Uh, I think it really does just come down to winning because, let's face it, um, you know, you could be a good person. Tyrone Willingham was a good person at Notre Dame. He graduated his players. He didn't win enough games. He got fired. That's what the alums, that's what the boosters, that's what the fans truly want. They could sit here and act like they're on their high horse and they want all fine, upstanding citizens, but they really care about winning. You look back to the 80s and the 90s with the University of Miami, you think those fans will give back those five national titles? No, they didn't care that they had a bunch of role players. It was about winning. So for D'Antonio, yeah, like every other coach in college sports, it comes down to wins and losses. You lose too many games, you're fired.
1: Do you see him maybe taking on more of a hands-on approach to recruiting and maybe more hands-on with his staff than maybe he has in the last couple of years because of all of this?
0: Well, he was hands-on in the last couple of years. You know, he wasn't one to just sit back. Every recruit met with him. Uh, Every recruit that I talked to would say they would have long conversations with him. So it wasn't like he was playing a passive role but he said it yesterday in his press conference, you don't know. You don't you could you only get, you know, to meet with a kid fifteen times and when everybody is telling you, if everybody says John is the greatest, John is the greatest, he's a good kid, he's a good kid, okay I'm gonna take the word and say, John, you know what, you're good. And if you come up and, you know, start uh a stealing cars out of a parking lot, yeah, nobody knew that about you or wow, where'd that come from? So You you, you don't have a crystal ball. You don't know, okay, this kid is going to be a stud on the field and off the field. You don't have that. And if you start going into recruiting, trying to decipher that, well, you'll be afraid to take anybody because every kid that you take, it's a chance. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what that kid is going to turn into. Will he turn into the next Jack Conklin, you know, or will he turn into the next Malik McDowell? You have no clue.
2: Rico Beard, you can follow him on Twitter, at Rico Beard. He is the host of the Spartan Beat 921 FM in Lansing. We'll get you out of here on this. What's been your assessment of the overall media coverage of this for Michigan State? You have debates back and forth whether some columnists are slanted, but overall, we kind of feel like the media has done this in a professional manner in terms of not rushing to release the names, getting as much detail and showing as much respect as possible in a situation like this. What's been your assessment of the media coverage of this incident for Michigan State?
0: Well, I think the media coverage has been, uh, i talked to a lot of guys, very impatient, trying to sometimes make more out of stuff than looks there. They wanted Michigan State to step up and give them names. And it was like, guys, they can't legally do that. There's a thing called due process. But, you know, we live in a world where everybody's trying to be first. And, you know, some guys were just kind of going out there and, and making their own assumptions early. I was one, and I'm still, you know what, I'm going to let the story write itself out. I don't care if I'm first. I'd rather be right. And I think there were some in the media that were just trying to break things and and almost come close to fabricating things, especially early on in this case. But I think as time went on, they kind of settled things down. Uh, was it perfect? No. Uh, were they respectful? I think they had to be because their bosses didn't want to get sued. But, um, you know, there, there were some that did have some type of uh, slant to it, I can't say. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. We, we greatly appreciate your insights. You're always welcome here. You can listen online at team921fm.com, 6 to 7 p.m., Monday through Friday. Always great insight from Rico Beard. Follow him on Twitter, at Rico Beard. Thank you so much for your time today. All
0: right. No problem, guys. See you.
2: Man, yeah, it's a lot of layers to this story. And unfortunately, you know, I think for us, the way we handled it was pretty well in terms of just waiting until all the news broke. We definitely touched on it a couple times, but now is when the dissection is going to take place. You can look at, you know, all the different ways of looking at it. We could definitely take a slant from the exact opposite of what Rico said. You could blame Mark D'Antonio. You could say that there's lots of institutional control. You could say the media was unbelievable. There's a lot of different ways this could be debated. But in the end, The question I think that's going to be most important is, is there a way to curtail these athletes from engaging in nefarious activities? And a lot of people will say no, but I think that the pursuit of that needs to be evaluated, needs to be looked at from every single angle. If there's any opportunity at all to improve the safety and improve the behavior of athletes, you got to look at it. It may take years to figure out. It may take more insight. It may take more training. But I think that the question needs to be asked, and it will be, how do you prevent this kind of stuff from happening as much as possible where you don't have half a dozen guys getting in trouble in a two-year span? It's been a real stain on Michigan State, but Rico gave a very honest and real perspective on it. But there's others as well. There's other opposite perspectives that really hit home. And when you read on Twitter, and I know that Twitter is not exactly the the best spot to look, but when you read on boards and you have discussions with other people, a lot of people are – really upset and really frustrated that Michigan State has done this in terms of now the entire school
1: has been put under a microscope because of the actions of the athletic department. Here's the thing, too, and like you said, this much like an onion, as you kind of peel back the layers, you can go any way you want to go with it. Look, I think Mark Antonio did a great job with the way he handled things. I think by releasing the players once the names came out, and, but in the meantime, protecting them for as long as he could, I think he did everything he had to do. And I think by doing that, he earns the respect of his team. All that being said, I think he has to still shoulder some of the blame, right? Again, th- there are there are many, many ways we can go with this. And and I don't want to lose sight uh, of the, the the real issue here, and, and that's the victim. You know, there, there was a young woman who was put in a in a very precarious situation. She was, by all accounts, taken advantage of. And, and that's the one who most of our thoughts and, and most of our prayers should be with. That being said, you have to look at how this affects the Michigan State football program. I think Mark Antonio did a great job with the way he's handled things thus far. It, it, it's it, we, we now have to sit back and we have to take a sit-back-and-wait-and-watch and approach. We've got to see how this is going to play out in the courts Um, as far as we go with it, this is something that we have talked about and we've bantered back and forth off air about, should we talk about this? Should we touch on this? And every time we have shied away from it, because there wasn't a whole lot we could really say we had no names. We really had no information. There was nothing we could really add to the conversation. So why are we going to bring it up? There was no point. It, It would just be like, like just setting a fire just to set a fire. There's no point to do it. So we shied away from it. I think the media has handled this quite well for the most part. Uh, Rico talked about it. Some people were in a rush to to get stuff out there. But I, I think in the end, you have editors and you have people who are in charge who understand the severity of what is going on. And I think a lot of the right decisions have been made. At this point now, we all have to sit back and just kind of watch how this plays out in court, and we'll see where it goes from there. And then as as it kind of pro- proceeds along, we can sit there and we can add comments to it, and we can discuss and have an open conversation about it. But until then, it, it, it's just you got to sit back and you got to watch. Episode
2: 200, Doc and Jock. We're going to take our first time out. Stay with us, second half of the podcast. We have to look at the news that was made earlier this week regarding the Detroit Lions. And to end the podcast, the Doc and Jock Pro Wrestling Report. You're listening to... The Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Doc here, I want to tell you about our host site, Podomatic. You're listening to episode 200 of this podcast network, Doc and Jock. One of the reasons why we've built a great audience and have had great success and have put out well over five to 600 podcasts on this very fine network is due to the fact that we have a quality host site. When Adam and I first started this project, we had the audio recorded and we needed a spot to put it. And one of the first things I did was Google how to post a podcast to the internet. And luckily for us, the first thing that popped up, Podomatic.com. You can take your recorded audio, put it up to the internet within five minutes. Podomatic.com has great customer service. They work with you. We've had very little problems. I know sometimes you hear technical difficulties. The links aren't proper. We've had none of that. We use one host site and that's Podomatic. And our audio gets out to iTunes and gets out to several various outlets because of the fact that we work with Podomatic.com. So if you're looking to start a brand new project, a brand new podcast, we would recommend one host site, Podomatic.com.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, uh. Did you dance to any of this kind of music on your vacation, sir?
1: Uh, What's the vibe like out there in Jamaica? Well, I, you know what? A lot of it was American music. Um... Hip-hop? Of, yeah, a lot of hip-hop, some techno. Uh, they played some 80s and some old-school stuff. Uh, I guess that Friday that I had left Jamaica, uh, they played uh, basically what would uh, equate to the to the Nas-Jay-Z rap battle, and I guess it was just totally meat-racking off the chain. So I, that's what my buddy was telling me. He said it was great. Um, like I said, some, a couple of the guys out there, Patrick and Akeem, those were my boys, and I guess Patrick was filling in uh, my buddy Jeff about everything that was going down and kind of how it all built and like it was like a super like like hardcore rap like super intense and like honestly so like everybody knows how like jamaicans sound right like yeah i'm on all that but like jamaicans have like their own language like if you hear like two or three jamaicans speak to each other you will be totally lost like they they have words that you have no idea what the hell they're even saying it it just absolutely insane man
2: now i don't know if i've reminded you but you know i'm a big tv star right You know, earlier in, you know, this year, I participated in the George Lopez special. Yes. And I feel like I have to call Los Angeles, call the production company and be like, look, I know we talked about the curse. I know it was kind of maybe a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's real. You got to air this program fast. You know, we did this exorcism. You got to air it now. I know it might be greenlit for July and August. You better get out, you know, get her find any avenue to speed this up. You're like, what are you talking about? You know, many people do believe that the Detroit Lions are cursed. And that whenever there's an opportunity to have success, you've heard it thousands of times on this podcast across the various shows, whenever the Lions have any form of success or any form of hope, the universe comes crashing down on us and this curse comes back to bite us in the butt. And George Lopez is trying his best to break the curse, but unfortunately, the show hasn't aired yet and the news broke earlier this week, you know, kind of just out of the blue and it sucks. Because we could have heard this news earlier, but there's so many rules and regulations in regards to what the beat writers can report in terms of practice and what they can not say. You know, I've sent you a couple emails. I don't know if I've sent you one where they list all the rules. You can't tweet during this. You can't tweet during that. You can't take pictures during this time. I'm like, oh, my God, I'd break the rules within five minutes. They'd be escorting my ass way out of them. Like, there's too many rules. I'm not reading all this. But I guess earlier last week, Taylor Decker got himself hurt. Shoulder injury. He had surgery on Monday. When I saw that, I was like, no, come on. He was part of a newly rebuilt offensive line with you know, the additions of TJ Lang, Wagner from Baltimore. You felt like, yes, finally, they're going to put together a solid unit to have a running game. You didn't go out and draft a running back because you felt the line was going to carry your current crop of bum running backs. And now they're trying to poo-poo it and say, look, you know, we're not going to give out any information. There's no timetable. We don't know if it's season-ending or not, but the first thing that I'm going to say is I'm panicked because, you know, what does an offensive lineman got to use play after play? His shoulder. And these guys on the defensive line are getting smaller. They're pushing at you with force that probably now makes me say, what's the likelihood of re-injuring his shoulder? And I'm like, no, this was a guy, Taylor Decker, that showed promise. This was a guy we were counting on. And now there's a chance, because it's the Lions... His career is fucked up. Well, I don't
1: know if it's because it's
2: the Lions, but... It's because it's the Lions why I'm panicked. <laughs> Anybody else, you could say, okay, maybe it's a six-week injury. He comes back, and he's good. But you know, because it's the Lions, there's a greater than 75% chance in 2017
1: he re-injures that shoulder. Well, I think there's a probably a greater chance that he doesn't play the entire season. Don't say that. So, I mean, here's the thing, right? So, best-case scenario, it's arthroscopic. They, they send a scope in there, and they kind of clean some stuff up. And he's good to go. Worst case scenario, he doesn't play for the 2017 season. Oh. Right, exactly. And w- which sucks because, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, he's their best overall offensive lineman. And he showed a lot of promise last season. He looked really good. He came in. He, he had a couple rough games in the very beginning. But as the season wore on, he really got comfortable. And you could see he was going to be a very good left tackle and then you look at kind of what they did this offseason by upgrading that offensive line. They, they took him into account when they did those upgrades. They didn't sit there, and they didn't address any depth at left tackle. They sat there, and they, they looked at the right side. You brought in T.J. Lang, and you you brought in, um oh, what was it? Wagner. There you go, Ricky Wagner. And how come I always struggle with Ricky Wagner? I, even when they You're there, not they're supposed to know in, the linemen. Uh, right, I guess. Hey, that's a good lineman, right? You don't know their names. Anyways, they said and they addressed the right line, the, the right side of the line. They didn't address anything with the left side. So now you've got a little bit of an issue. And, and look, Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford had a great season last year. Uh, what was it? The the NFL's uh, top 100 voted on by NFL players. That guy cracked 31. He sat there, and that guy was totally not ranked at all last year. And this year, he's 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 in the top 35. You know, I mean, that's pretty outstanding. And a lot of that was due to him working with that new line. And then you go and you revamp it and you retool it and you make it look like it's going to be even better for the 2017 season. And now your number one overall draft pick from uh, last season gets injured, has a shoulder injury. Yeah, there's some cause for some concern here. But... Damn you! (laughs) But... That kind of startled me, I'll be honest with you. But I, I think this team we'll be able to overcome this and hopefully Taylor Decker only misses a few games in the beginning of the year. It can come back and he'll be fine. Look, it's a shoulder injury. I think when you get to knees and you get to shoulders, I think they're both really difficult to rehab from. We're so much further ahead with medicine. Now when they go in there and they fix these things up, I don't think you have as big of an issue. And look, I know I'm not a professional athlete, but I've had both my shoulders redone. Okay. Okay. And the, one, the right shoulder got done first, and that one I had a much more difficult time recovering from than I did my left shoulder. I had my left shoulder done much later, probably, I don't know, four or five years later. So I think medical advancements have come a much longer way than maybe what you were giving credit to. On top of that, you know professional athletes get like A1 care. Like, those guys don't have to want for anything. They're on the stim machine all day, every day, and they're in the rehab just sitting there working it out so it gets better to break down all that scar tissue. You got, dude, you got masseuses just sitting there rubbing the shit out of your shoulder for hours on end just trying to break down all that tissue that needs to get broken down so you can go through your repair work. So early on, most people are thinking it's going to be
2: an internal guy to come up and replace. I think they said... Uh, Jim Caldwell, when he was addressing the media, said, look, we're going to give more reps to Joe Dahl at first. And then you go, oh, man, just when you get rid of Riley Reef, you have an opportunity to maybe need him in the future. But did you hear the news of the guy that was flying into town that had basically an incident with the police? (laughs) Yeah. Cyrus Kwan – I'm going to butcher this, but Cyrus Kwan-Diju. From the Buffalo Bills was cut because dude was like naked and was, he was like wearing like a pair of underwear and a t-shirt and he was kind of pronouncing to the officers like you know come on shoot me up yeah you know so <laughs> I'm like come on Cyrus that's not the guy are you serious I thought they were kind of avoiding guys with some issues and I'm like uh is this the guy they're gonna kind of sign and I'm like let's bring on the Joe Cullen jokes here now there's another guy All with right. some can he keep his clothes on when the
1: Lions always have guys who like to take their clothes off what's going on here <laughs> All the time, but
2: realistically, do you think Joe Dahl can be a stopgap in training camp, or what's the realistic option as to what the line
1: should do next? I, you know what? I really like Joe Dahl. I, I like what I've seen from him in limited uh, in, in limited time. I think Joe Dahl could fill in. I think he could work. Look, there, the the thing is, this injury happened at the prime opportunity, right? It happened early in OTAs, so now you get in July, August, right. you got Three months. You get to go through an entire off season, or, or you get to go through an entire preseason here trying to figure out who can sit there to step in and fill in. So he's going to get a ton of reps. Whoever that guy is, they're going to know what he can do, and they're going to have to put him in the best case, in the best situation to protect Matt Stafford and to sit there and try to mitigate any issues that whoever is going to fill in at left tackle will have. So I think it happens at the perfect opportunity, the, the, the prime time. If you're looking for an injury to occur, it's now. You don't ever want an injury to occur. But if you're going to have one, that was outstanding because, you, like you said, you get three months before the season really kind of gets going underway. On top of that, you've got your entire preseason. You've got your you've got all kinds of training camps to sit there and just kind of work guys out and see what you can do, who you can fit in. On top of it, there are some guys out there like Mister. I run around in my underwear and I want police to shoot me. You can bring him in and maybe he'll work. Who knows? I think this is the if you're going to have a, if you're going to have a worst case scenario, this is probably the best time to have a worst case scenario.
2: Yeah, because I know people are saying, relax, it's early. But, you know, with the Lions, you always look to worst-case scenario because we're counting on them so much. And Taylor Decker's career was, based upon what you saw in his first year, it looked like a pick that was going to pan out. And with the Lions, there's been so many draft picks that haven't worked that it makes everybody a little bit nervous that, you know, who oh, Taylor Decker nicked up a little bit and it might be a quick fix. You never know. But the problem is the reason why we panic is the lions are so secretive. They don't tell you nothing, well, they don't tell you anything, they don't tell you nothing. So we don't know if it's a season ending we don't know if it's career threatening. We don't know if it's a complete tear, minor tear. We don't know nothing. And I know it's to respect the privacy of the athlete as well, but you could hint at, you know, this is probably a short term thing or a long term thing because remember you got paying customers and you want to know, like, look, Hey, if I'm going to drop some money to watch the Lions, Taylor Deckers not there. We're going to be watching uh, a weekend offensive unit, no doubt about it, and that's just the way it is. But you know, for you, you're thinking that look, okay, there's an opportunity for this to be a short-term thing. It's not going to affect the Lions too much. Yeah, I. I you think that I, there, I, can, there can be a stopgap with the replacements, and if Bob Quinn is going to scour the landscape of free agents, you trust that he'll find a guy. To to fill in the gap and hey, if you got to roll Matthew Stafford out to the right, a whole heck of a lot more to protect his
1: ass. You got to do what you got to do, and if you have to, you can always sit there and you can sub in a running back to sit there and help with protections. So I'm not necessarily I'm not worried about it. I, I think look, I trust Bob Quinn. I think Bob Quinn will make the right decisions. And I'm sorry about stumbling there. I just got some news. Can I can I give you some breaking news here? Breaking news. Uh, this is coming from the Free Press. Um, Carlos Monterez is, is reporting that Calvin Johnson paid back a lot more money than we originally thought. More than 300K? Yes. uh Um. So I guess you can kind of understand where. I mean, this works out perfect because we're oh, talking Lions here. Oh, I see it. Yeah. More than a million? Yeah. Oh, I just so seen you, it on live. You understand oh. why Calvin Johnson was kind of PO'd at the Lions when he had a payback over oh, a million. Oh, that dollars. changes the story a lot. And the Lions aren't, of course, the Lions. Lions aren't sitting there and releasing any comments about it. Uh, I guess Calvin Johnson was unavailable for comments as well. Just kind of briefly skimming through the article, but yeah, this just came out. This just broke. So, um, what do you think? uh, Money, money, money. I mean, again, it's the Lions looking small. You know what I'm saying? I, I had no problem with 300k, right? That was fine. I get it, right? You guys came to an agreement, whatever. But you're, you're asking a Hall of Fame player to turn over over a million dollars again lines just looking small looking like a like a small time organization
2: ooh Um, The other news regarding the Detroit Lions is there's a lot of talk regarding the wide receiver position. You're starting to hear reports that the wide receivers are doing okay in, you know, OTAs. They're doing some things, but there's still a couple guys out there that maybe you could add to the squad. One name that people are kind of bantering about is Jeremy Macklin or bringing back Anquan Bolden. Is there any advantage to having either or, or do you think there's a likely scenario is there a chance Jeremy Macklin could be signed after spending some time with
1: the uh, Kansas City Chiefs? There's another guy out there, too, who's on the way to get released, and that's uh, former Jetwide receiver Eric Decker. I would pass. I, on, I think on, Decker? Good, I think I would pass on him. I don't know, man. I feel like every time I've seen Decker play, he looked outstanding, and he had Ryan Fitzpatrick as a quarterback. You, do you know what I'm saying? I, what's that tell you? Uh, you? Look, here. If I have to pick between these three guys, Jeremy Macklin, Anquan Boldin, or Eric Decker, uh, price is, of course, a factor because this is a capped league, right? And I'm not exactly sure how much money the Lions have after doing everything they did with free agency as well as with the draft and, and signing all their players. I would still probably go out and I'd get Anquan Bolden. And I like what Anquan Bolden displayed last year. Anquan Bolden's tough, dude. He's a tough SOB, right? The guy catches everything that's thrown to him. On top of it, he's familiar with the offense. And, and you, you're you going to need a possession-wide receiver. I think Anquan Bolden is much better than Eric Decker at this point in his career because Eric Decker has a propensity to get injured. Jeremy Macklin, at times, and he showed flashes of being a really good wide receiver. And then there are other times where the guy totally disappears. I think Jeremy Macklin, at this point in his career, has a higher upside and a higher ceiling than Anquan Bolden and probably Eric Decker. But I just don't, I don't trust him enough. He's too inconsistent. I like what Anquan Bolden gave you last year. I'm going to bring him back because he's familiar with the offense. There's no learning curve. You're just putting him back in, you know? Let him go do what he's got to do. And, and again, I think he brings a little bit of leadership to that to that ball club, and I, I think it's fine. I, I think Anquan Bolden would be the guy I would bring in. You're, you're probably looking at, I don't know, five or six guys competing for one spot. You, you, you know, you've got uh, Golden Tate. you got Marvin Jones. you got Kenny Galladay. you got maybe one more spot because I'm assuming that, Eric Ebron's going to probably be more of a slot-wide receiver instead of a, a full-blown tight end. And you've already got two other tight ends backing him up. You know, you got the guy you drafted, as well as you've got, uh, uh was it Brandon Phelps that you brought in, the, the blocking tight end. So you, you've you got guys at the tight end spot. I think Ebron probably plays more of a slot role, especially when you sit there and you go four or five wide. So if you're going to do that, you know, I mean, you, you got a couple guys fighting for maybe one spot. Why not bring Bolden in? I, I think he would sit there and he'd win that he'd win the, the that fight, that competition.
2: Okay, before we get to the Doc and Jock Wrestling Report, obviously Adam and I would like to thank all the sponsors that have worked with us on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network, all the supporters, all the people that have contributed their hard earned dollars to the network. We couldn't be Anywhere near the level of success that we've had without the support of the listeners, the audience, those that have reviewed us on iTunes, those that have, you know, really followed us and commented on all the tweets that we've sent out. It's really been fun to be able to do 200 podcasts and beyond and really have a network of podcasts where if there's a big topic and there's an expert in the field like a Rico Beard, we can just go out there and have these conversations. And the fun part about doing the podcast has been for me. Just the the feeling like, hey, we're part of the mix. Not the biggest part of the mix, not the lowest part of the mix, but like you said eloquently a couple weeks ago, we're in the mix. We can sit here, we can have conversations, we can have shows and do the type of things that we enjoy doing, and we've built a solid audience and a fun audience. And so doing the podcast for me has been great in terms of where what we've done for the first 200 and then the next 200 are going to be just as fun because of the support of the sponsors, the supporters, and those that contribute via the PayPal.
1: You know what we we love all of our listeners, and I think we wouldn't be doing this. Well, we would be doing this. We'd just be yelling at each other with and no be drinking at the bar. Exactly, that, that's right. But uh, it, it, we we do this because we love the listeners. We love the interaction with the people who sit there and, and download and take time to to sit there and, and skim through a, uh, an episode here and there, or every single week. We, you know, we we enjoy. the 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 feedback that we get from you guys so we appreciate you listening and uh here's the 200 more exactly and the best part is if you go back
2: on our youtube page where we have the archive of all the doc and jock podcasts going back to episode 29 i think you really listen to kind of how our voices were and we were kind of timid we were just kind of like talking like this and kind of talking about now we are like I, i can hear it in our voices we're more boastful we're more confident we can just speak to the things we want to because of our growth and i think i like that as broadcasters you know, we still have room to grow, and we've come a long way from our interview questions to how long our conversations can go to the back and forth nature of how Adam and I do this. So it's been fun as well to get reps, and that's the best way to grow as a, as a broadcaster, as someone doing this, is just keep doing it. Turn on the microphone, have a chat, and let's see what happens. And so two hundred in, two hundred more, baby. Let's let's keep going,
1: dude. The evolution of this thing, going from that very first episode, and I I, I I'm almost positive I've told this story before. Very first episode we ever did. I took it over to my dad's house He's and like, I let my dad listen. What the fuck is this? <laughs> That's exactly this is what shit. he said to me. He looked at me. He was like, you want to do this for a career? No, it's horrible. Yep, pretty much. And I was like, yes. And he was like, you better find something else to do because you suck.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so we took that and we we're like, damn, we thought we were pretty good. We thought we were hot shit. And then, uh, you know, through the efforts of those that have helped us, it's been fun. And, uh, you know, listen, if you want to reach out at Detroit Podcast, message us anytime. We read each and every tweet. That's what has been uh, a secret to our success is that we've read every single tweet that's come across our way and we have fun interacting with the supporters and the followers. All right, cuz, this was a great week for wrestling, starting from the pay-per-view to Raw and SmackDown. But here's the thing I want to kind of focus on for a second here, is great I came across... Week for
1: wrestling, hey. It was,
2: it was, and I'll tell you why. Because of the fact that you're building superstars, you're doing it correctly with two guys that probably deserve it. Yes, there are things that are shitty that need to be scrapped out, but I came across a tweet that was really revealing... From a guy that I respect, um, Jason Barrett, program director, and he does a, a gr- he has a great website regarding sports radio, and he said something that made me think. Now, what they have versus what they're utilizing could be much more. And he, his tweet was simple. He's like, "Look, look what you have. You have the Bullet Club, and you have the broken Matt Hardy gimmick." And you're not utilizing it right now. Anything?
1: That's the biggest issue we have. Ever you have all four.
2: You have all four members of the Bullet Club. Yes, the original you have, members. You have gimmicks that people would gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at, it, I say, yes, there could be a lot more going on that would get us hyped. But what I also see is the evolution of kind of letting these guys take their chances and not just going with the same old adage that look, it's going to be Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar. They're teasing it a little bit. They're kind of suspending that a little bit and letting um, Samoa Joe get in the mix and see where he goes. So the first part I want to say is, do you think Samoa Joe is main event caliber and
1: worthy at this time? Yes. Samoa Joe is worthy. Absolutely. That promo that he cut on Monday Night Raw was outstanding. He sat there, he had a mic in his hand, he threw a microphone down, and then he went and just him and Paul Heyman, just, he just sat there and told Paul Heyman what he was going to do, and then he went and he choked him out in the middle of the ring. He's believable. And then, as he was getting up to leave, the crowd was screaming, we want Brock, he picked up the mic and he was like, I want him too. Exactly. And he threw the mic down and he walked out. Absolutely. And the
2: reason why he's believable and the reason why people are getting behind him was because at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, he was given the opportunity in the five-way match, and he got the victory. And many people were surprised. Many people thought it would be Roman Reigns or Finn Balor, and uh, they didn't think that Samoa Joe would be the guy to get the nod. Now, because of the fact that that match was so
1: high caliber, it carried what was, in essence, a garbage pay-per-view. I was going to say that was the only thing. That was the only redeeming factor with that entire pay per view.
2: If you just want to, if you only have a few minutes and you got 20 minutes, watch the main event of Extreme Rules. It's the top of the line of the Raw brand going to town, and each individual was allowed to get their stuff over, and it was believable. It was a great ending, and it was just an overall great match. So, you know the the quality of the main event made an overall garbage pay per view because it was called Extreme Rules, but basically, besides Jeff Hardy doing his move off of the cage, there wasn't too much of extreme stuff going on. So they kind of toned it down a little bit, which I can understand because if you go full bore with you know five six matches and everybody's getting hurt, you could walk away with a lot of damage. But the main event carried over and made the the pay per view like a B minus at best in terms of that pay per view. So now you go into Raw. You got a situation where now Samoa Joe is being featured and you got a situation where now it's gonna be Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe at Great Balls of Fire and it's just funny to say that each and every time they say it. I wouldn't <laughs> did call Do
1: you see the, the, the marquee yeah, for it? It looks like exactly. a giant penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Samoa Joe so <laughs> is believable.
2: Now you set it up where boom, you have a situation where Brock Lesnar's coming back. Next Monday, everyone's excited. That, that angle
1: is going to be featured now for the foreseeable future, and I think it's well worth it. Here is my issue, and this is its not even an issue. It's a concern I have with the way they're going to book Samoa Joe and the way they're going to book the whole thing with Brock Lesnar. I don't want to see Samoa Joe. You've done a great job building Samoa Joe up up until this point. I don't want to see Samoa Joe get crushed in five minutes in a squash match where Brock Lesnar comes out, does four moves, and it's over. I don't want to see that. If anything, I want to see Samoa Joe beat Brock Lesnar. Actually, let, let, let's let see a, a Universal Galactic champion actually on Monday Night Raw because do you realize that Brock Lesnar hasn't been on TV since he's won the belt? He hasn't been on TV in almost three months, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than the three months. Mind you, they're sitting there stripping people on SmackDown for not being able to sit there and, and defend their belt, possibly, and I use finger quotes there, possibly within the 30-day time limit. Wow, this dude's on vacation for three months. It, it blows my mind. He, How he is champion, I just don't get it. But I'm afraid that they're going to protect Lesnar because they want to build to Lesnar Reigns at WrestleMania next year. And you're going to have a full year build. I, I can't see him having the belt that long. I, I, it, it can't happen. There's
2: no way. Now, the other issue that came about, the biggest issue, because Raw, you would say, was kind of okay. It was invigorating a little bit, a little bit exciting. They didn't go with the same formulaic promo in the beginning. They kind of got into a match with Bray Wyatt. Dude, that and was like Roman Reigns.
1: 30 minutes. It was so long.
2: Their segments are running a little bit long, but the, my biggest beef of the week is the way that WWE Creative is utilizing Bray Wyatt. You
1: can't have a guy to get everybody else over. Exactly. That's
2: the point. Upper mid card guy. You can't have a guy come out there and be given that much airtime only to get squashed by Roman Reigns by everybody. It's not. Yeah. Basically what you're doing is you're creating a major credibility issue. And it's like, how do I believe in this guy when he's had a title run, but it was short lived? He comes out there and talks a monstrous game. He can hang with the best of them, but then he goes out there and matches and loses quite a bit, and he loses to Roman Reigns. He doesn't have a lot of signature wins or a signature moments, and basically what we're doing with Bray Wyatt is waiting to see who's going to join him. That's about it, you know, and you, go to your, you say to yourself, you have an asset. You got a star. You could have put him in, in a matchup versus Brock Lesnar, and you could have set up a feud with, uh, you know, Samoa Joe and Finn Balor on Raw. I know it might have been stale because they feuded so much in the last year,
1: but I would have I would have liked to have seen that at Great Balls of Fire, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor. Oh, yeah, it would have be been great. And here's the thing I have with, with the way they're utilizing Bray Wyatt, too, is Bray sits there, puts on a match with Roman Reigns for like 30 minutes, and then he gets bit, beat clean in the middle of the ring, all right? While Samoa Joe takes on uh, Roman Reigns, and Roman Reigns ends up losing by distraction. So the guy who's going to who's the number one contender for for the Universal Galactic Mars Championship, needs a distraction to beat Roman Reigns, but Bray Wyatt can just get beat clean? Like it, The booking makes no sense, and that's my big issue. On top of it, you've got a lot of 50-50 booking, where, where you got guys who sit there and you, you lose one week, you come out, you win the next week. You lose one week, you come out, you win the next week. Nobody ever really gets over. You know, it's it just... None of it makes sense. And then, do you, do you realize that everybody who holds a championship is basically a heel? Yeah. Like, there are no baby faces who have a championship right now. So, you got to kind of even that out. That's it, why it just, maybe. It makes no sense. It just, again, 50 50 booking, and you got nothing but heels running the asylum. Do you see Samoa Joe kind of
2: turning over to become a face? Because
1: it seemed like there were some
2: cheers when he won. They were chanting Joe, Joe after Extreme Rules. Do you um, think he could
1: be, you know, kind of switched and, and be put over as a face? I think he could because I've seen him do it before. But I think right now I kind of like him as here's the thing. I always look at I always look at Brock as being a heel. I don't ever see him as a face. Okay, so I like I like Joe as kind of this gray character, almost this. You remember how you remember how Stone Cold used to be? Stone Cold was Stone Cold was not your your, your prototypical baby face. Stone Cold was kind of the anti authority figure. And he was the guy that everybody got behind because he was so counterculture. I think you could put Joe in a role like that where he's not, he's not a white meat baby face, right? But he's not necessarily 100% heel. Do you know what I'm saying? He can sit there and he can kind of walk that line where he can do, he can kind of play both sides. And I think I like him that way because him taking on Brock Lesnar, I, like I said, I want him to beat Lesnar. He's, if you got to pick, if you got to pick a bad guy here, right? And again, it's talking wrestling, total nerds here. You got to pick a bad guy here. I'm picking Samoa Joe as my bad guy. And I think he can sit there and he can play that, he can play that role where he can kind of, he can kind of walk to the good side, but come back to the bad side. You know what I'm saying? He can kind of go back and forth like that. I think that's, I think that's the best utilization for his character, especially in this build Where he's going to take on Brock Lesnar.
2: From Raw, again, you just have to erase Titus O'Neil and Kalisto. Just give more matches. They they need to be dark matches. It's awkward, ugly. It doesn't look right. It just seems stupid. It seems like now you're misusing Apollo Crews, and it looks stupid. And just highlight. Look, I would give the extra. Anytime that you start putting stuff with Kalisto – and Titus O'Neil just add the 5 minutes the 6 minutes to Enzo and Cass and let them just do skits let them play this out let let us see more vignettes let us see how this is going to play out or do let uh, Gallus and Anderson do some more things give more time to the women or the cruiserweights but just erase that segment. I mean every time you 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 start writing it just put it in there and then erase it it's an easy edit because you have some great opportunities to highlight even more people or hell if it's the worst case scenario, you let fifteen minutes go by, and you let the Miz just kind of talk and get
1: into a feud with somebody, yeah. and, and do some things. It, look here, I can sit there and I can watch the Miz talk all day long. It's you good, know, right? The guy's it's great; good. he's a great promo. He's outstanding. I, I don't need to see Kalisto. I don't need to see Titus O'Neil. Apollo yeah. Cruz has not been utilized well at all since he's come up. He's terrible. Been, he's, terrible. Been, he's been booked horribly. He's the Sami Zayn of Raw, he, uh, essentially. I mean, the, the guy is huge. You know, like physically, he's imposing. He's athletic and yet you've got him in cream puff matches i wasted mean i don't year. i don't yeah. wasted year for apollo Cruz. exactly i don't think he can cut a good promo i think his promos need work but again you've got a guy who's physically imposing and a guy who's athletic as hell and yet you book him like he's a slimy sandwich like what are you doing it makes absolutely zero sense to me it, it absolutely brutal uh another big issue i had with with raw right the the women they're not getting booked well they're not getting put over i look i don't need to see I like Alexa Bliss, right? I think she's fine. I think she's a she's solid as champion. I don't think that match was very good. Her versus Nia Jax. And you, you, you kind of knew how this was going to end the moment you seen Dana Brooke and um, what's her nuts? Mickey James come down to the rings. You, you knew how this was going to go. You've got other people on this roster who deserve a spotlight. Sasha Banks is one. Like... I love watching Sasha Banks wrestle. I don't need to see her in, a, in in a championship match every single week, but you need to sit there. You need to come up with like a with, with maybe a tournament style or or come up with a power ranking and sit there and put that up on the screen. I, I you know I want to see how you rank out your women, right? And I want to see them sit there and climb. Get me interested in your women's matches. I don't need to see Alexa Bliss come out and tell me how she's. The Harley Quinn uh, uh, of Monday Night Raw and how she's, yeah, uh, I don't know, the, the 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 I don't know, the evil queen of what's going on with Raw. I don't need to see that. You know, I want give me some, give me some meat, give me some potatoes, get me enticed in, in what's going on. Make me sit there and root for one of these women to sit there and be able to do something. I don't need to see Nia Jack come out and tell me how she's a monster, but she doesn't. She's not portrayed as a monster at all. You exactly. know what I'm saying? I, I don't. It's just it, again. Poor booking, bad writing. What's exactly. going
2: on? And again, you don't like to see guys underutilized. Gallus and Anderson are a solid tag team. They need to be put up there with Sheamus and Cesaro. You could have. Remember what they're doing is they're having guys that should be on shows like main event and superstars on Raw. Dude, there's nothing wrong with being the main eventer of superstars. Okay, there's there's tears here. There are shows called main event, and those are the matches that are put on in the half an hour before the television shows. If you don't know, they're called dark matches, and they're taped for the. Uh, WWE Network specials, make Rhino and Slater right now the, the main eventers of the undercards. And then you have, you know, a more opportunity for Gallus and Anderson to come out there. They should be the next guys up to tackle Sheamus and Cesaro. And you could do more to elevate the Hardy Boys and, and maybe, you know, have them do some promos. You don't have to have them wrestle every week. You can have them do some promos, do some talking, maybe hint at, you know, the Broken Hardy gimmick. There's a lot of different ways of redoing it. No doubt about it. And before we get to SmackDown, the Enzo and Cass saga is playing out slowly and nicely, well-paced, and however it's paid off, it should go down well if it involves them breaking up because it doesn't look like right now their momentum is strong. So I'm cool with that, with how they've done it. What, what do you see happening with Enzo? Like, I don't know. I think it's going to be a swerve. I, I, I don't I, I think they'll still be together because you can't have them. Uh, I, don't see a pl- I
1: don't see a place for him. Like, I really like Enzo. I think he's interesting. But I Cass. don't see a
2: place for them. Well, you can't have them be on the roster without at least one run. I think maybe you tease it now for maybe a WrestleMania kind of moment next year where you have Enzo versus Cass or you have, you know, a tag team where, you know, they each get their respective partners. But I, I think they're doing it slow, but I don't know if they're going to pay it off by SummerSlam. It'll be It will be interesting to watch. Going over to SmackDown, first complaint, you cannot have women dominate 30 minutes of the show. Okay, the show is two hours long. The first segment is 15 minutes of blah, 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 blah. They're all talking. They're all coming like, hey. Then, you know, I think the biggest misstep that you have, and I guess you could say throughout the show, they kind of, you know, uh, fix the problem. But you can't debut Lana. Lana and then have her get squashed and, and sent was, out that was stupid that she was now you squash her then you put her in the main event of here, a pay-per-view that looks stupid
1: here is the thing right That's you done had so, done. so much momentum going forward with her right that was nice every, a nice debut every, everybody wanted to see her everybody wanted her right
2: let her do and a DDT on somebody and let, walk out. Yes. Oh, she's mad she's going to walk out and cry with the voice of a, a, a puss? Yeah. That was stupid. It was Fine, you're mad, a kick, a suplex through the table, and she walks out mad. You give her a little bit of credibility. Instead, she walks out like a puss, and her character, I thought, got squashed in four minutes. Yes.
1: You, you, you buried a brand new character that was in four one, minutes. one of the hottest things <laughs> you had building.
2: And then later in the show, okay, you know what? She's squawking, so we're gonna put her in the main event
1: versus you know, the hey, it, champion. Again, makes no sense the way they booked this stuff. That, it was it, written it, dumb. It's absolutely brutal. So now let's just let's just play let's just play a game where we sit there and we try to predict the future, okay? Let's look in our crystal balls here. So you've got Lana versus Naomi at money in the bank, right? So Naomi let, wins, no doubt. No, no, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. Let, let, let's let, let's yeah. say Lana wins. Okay. Okay, Lana wins, right? Whoever wins money in the bank comes down and right cashes away. in Instantly. Yeah. And she gets squashed. It makes no sense. Like again, bad poor booking. Like none of it is good, man.
2: Yeah, the way they did that, the way they did it, thirty minutes. I mean, look, you could have did the talking for six minutes, the match could have went nine and you could have featured other guys. You know, but the the highlight was Nakamura, Kevin Owens. They did it properly. I think it started around. Uh, 9.43 or so. The, the complaint you'd have is that you can't go to commercial. Just pace out the show where mm-hmm. you let them wrestle for 17 minutes on air. You let us see everything. You can't go to commercial with Nakamura versus Kevin Owens. You cannot do that, yet they constantly do it and it's quite ridiculous. But overall, I thought SmackDown, again, better show because of the two-hour time limit. And uh, it's just you know unbelievable. AJ Styles versus Dolph Ziggler was a classic wrestling match. I love the way they did the ending where Nakamura beats Kevin Owens. And then you have um, Baron Corbin, who kind of was the monster of the show, who knocked out Sami Zayn in a previous promo. He comes in and does some commentary. Nakamura is doing his thing. I don't know if you paid attention right at the end. I felt maybe Nakamura was a little bit uh, too excited to get his legs up there in the um, end of days. I thought he could have hurt his neck. I was like, dude, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your leg, like he almost flipped himself over. If you go back and watch it, if you see the highlight, you know, the end of days involves... Baron Corbin picking up a guy, holding him, and then slamming him in a reverse fashion. But Nakamura kicks his legs up almost over his head. Almost and does a somersault. Almost does a somersault in the move. Was a little bit excited, but it made me a little concerned. But he's okay.
1: But you know what? He really put Corbin over put, there. It looked good. It was that was done
2: very well. Um, having AJ Styles win was amazing. So that capped off a good hour of wrestling from nine to ten on Tuesday. And I like the way that whole scenario is playing out, where everybody's believable, everybody's getting over. But it leads me to believe, though, if it's going to be Sami Zayn, I probably would be the only guy where if it's him, I would be devastated and be like, I don't want to see him in the main event. I think he needs to have a strong showing. He needs to maybe be real close to the money in the bank and get up to that ladder and have somebody else knock him down and uh, establish a new
1: feud. Who do you want to win?
2: Oh, it's tough. Um, For me personally, I would like to see AJ Styles win it because I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge mark for him. When he comes out, you just feel like, okay, I got to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always going like, please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. Because I just feel like a major injury is coming to somebody on the roster because everything's been pretty good in terms of injury. There is, a, there is an
1: injury. Who got injured? Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens got hurt? Kevin Owens got hurt. Kevin what o- happened? Kevin Owens broke his thumb. He broke his thumb. Broke his thumb. Oh, is it gonna be out for a minute? Uh, I don't know if it's gonna affect too much. Uh, it looks like he's got a little bit of a cast on it. Um, oh, strong style, man. That guy yeah.
2: Nakamura. Was it something that he did, or you know where it happened?
1: I don't know exactly where it happened. I've gotta go back and rewatch the video. But oh, yeah. yeah, Kevin Owens basically came out on Twitter and said, uh, "Sad to report, the thumb of America is broken." Oh, but fear not. I'm in fact the toughest man alive, and <laughs> hey, will not be missing any ring time. Okay,
2: so that's not a problem. So
1: I, I've got to go see where where it got broken, but gotcha. uh.
2: It, there is an injury. Kevin Owens, dude. And Kevin Owens. Superstar. Um, I just love AJ Styles. I would love for him to win. So you got Ginger the champ. You figure he's going to, you know, you'd, like you said, uh, John Cena's coming back around the fourth. So that that feud will continue. Um, Ginger Mahal is going to win. Um, so I see that. The money in the bank, probably the best guy to have it because of, of the nature is AJ Styles because he can hold on to it. He doesn't have to catch it right away. He could hold it till after SummerSlam. He can even hold it till WrestleMania next year and have his moment because you remember Dolph Ziggler held it for 260 plus days and cashed it in the day after WrestleMania. Yep. What I would do is hell if you want to have a prop on a guy, let AJ Styles have the Money in the Bank until
1: the day after WrestleMania next year and hold the title. But okay, so you you could do that, but AJ Styles doesn't need the Money in the Bank. He he's he's good enough and he's so over with the crowd board he doesn't need that. A guy like a Sami Zayn, a Baron Corbin. Uh, Nakamura doesn't need it. Kevin Owens doesn't need it. There, there, there is talk that they may be adding another guy like a Ty Dillinger mm. to the match. And I know you're not a huge fan of Ty Dillinger. You just kind of think he's there. I like Ty Dillinger. I think he's. I think he's, he is the perfect ten. Um, but he's. Those are guys who who need that prop. Who need that to maybe get over and, and to maybe get pushed up the card a little bit. So I don't know if I don't know if Kevin. Look, I, I think AJ Styles. Could get it, and I think that'd be cool. Booking what you're talking about doing, but I don't think he needs it right now. Do you know okay. what I'm saying? So who do you got? Who do you think should win it
2: and have an opportunity to get?
1: Jeez, oh, that's a good question.
2: Maybe Nakamura. <sighs> you push him right to the top if you want you to elevate could. a guy. Give it to Nakamura, and then you kind of just have him kind of hold on to it. You have John Cena, Jinder Mahal have a feud. Maybe you know Nakamura fights with Kevin Owens, or he fights with Baron Corbin for a little bit, uh, a mini feud before you know you let Nakamura get to the title match and do some things, maybe at SummerSlam. Uh, you know that's possible I don't know yeah. it should be. It has to be I think the best way to go is either AJ Styles or Nakamura everybody else isn't worth
1: it yeah, isn't, isn't worth the thing I, I think you can build I think you could build through this through money in the bank you could sit there and you could have Nakamura and AJ Styles come out of it feuding you could have something happen in that where this builds to whatever the next pay-per-view is and you get your, you get your AJ Styles you get your Nakamura match which will be outstanding and you could sit there and you could you could sit there and string that along all the way to Wrestlemania if you really wanted to because you could have big matches where you could you could do like a three-fight series here where they're only sitting there fighting on big shows. You got And it. you could sit there and you could – those would be reasons to tune into those pay-per-views. I, don't, I, I think you could give it to Sami Zayn. I think Sami Zayn could tease coming out all the time and cashing it in. And it's going to be the one thing you're like, oh, my God, it's Sami Zayn. Because Sami Zayn is basically the human get-over machine. He's basically what Jinder Mahal was. Nice. So it's, it's what it is.
2: It's all good. Episode 200 coming to a close. A very fun podcast. It just flew by, hour and 45 minutes. Great talk. Thank you to Rico Beard for coming on and shedding some more light regarding the MSU situation. Um, it was a very fun podcast, despite some of the negative stuff that we were talking about. Always good to catch up with my cousin, Adam, the Jock Strozinski. It was great. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us and finding this podcast and for talking about us. It means it means a lot to us. For Adam the jock strozinski i am the doc john macaroon signing off thank you again go tigers this was locker room talk
0: second dick sorry detroit <laughs> didn't quite work out and i all i can say is detroit sports podcast scores i
2: have in my
0: head they me they understand they talk to me See really?